You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. All right, and welcome back to the Ancestral Elements Podcast, episode 27, Supplements, the Good, the Bad, and the FDA. In this episode, we're going to dive into the supplement industry. We're going to talk about kind of what it's all about. We're going to talk about the differences between supplements, if we should be supplementing at all, when we should be supplementing, the industry in general, and then some FDA regulations that have been recently imposed on certain supplements, and one in particular. Okay, so I guess the first question to kind of pose right at the top here is, do we need to be supplementing? And this is a pretty hotly debated subject. In a perfect world, obviously, you wouldn't need to. But as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, this isn't necessarily a perfect world. I mean, we weren't supplementing throughout the majority of human history, especially through our modern human species of, you know, the last 300,000 years. We definitely weren't supplementing. It's only been very, very recently. But our, also, our food system has changed very, very recently in the last 10,000 years. And it's a question that I can't really answer for you. It's one that you're going to have to kind of determine. It's going to be based on your diet and how good your nutrition is, and also what type of nutrition you're putting into your body. Are you doing some type of restricted diet where you're limiting a species that you might be consuming, like being vegetarian or vegan or carnivore? It all kind of depends. For me personally, I, this is kind of how I started down this road of nutrition before I got a degree in nutrition. I used to supplement heavily. I supplemented as a kid with multivitamins and B vitamins. I would give myself vitamin B12 injections um, just because I was curious and I wanted to see if I could kind of optimize feeling good, which later on I'll let you know what I'm doing now, but I've drastically kind of altered that approach from what I was doing originally. So supplementing, really, I mean, what it means, obviously, is that you are supplementing some type of nutrient that you are lacking in your diet, right? I mean, at the most basic level, that's what supplement is intended for. Now, it's not necessarily used for that, but that is kind of the basic intent that people view it from. Now, there's two main categories when it comes to supplements. There are whole food supplements and synthetic supplements. So whole food supplements are exactly how they sound. They are derived from whole animal, whole plant, whole fungal, whole algae species. They essentially either are dried or flash frozen, something like that, and then either made into tablets or capsulated or ground to a powder, something that you can basically incorporate into your diet as if it was a food. Now, on the other hand, a synthesized or a synthetic supplement is something that is lab-created that basically didn't start off as a food. Maybe in rare cases, it gets reduced and synthesized way down. Something like um, conventional multivitamins are not based on any type of food. Those are full synthetic supplements. So your kind of men's 
one a day multivitamin or your woman's one a day multivitamin or a pregnancy multivitamin, unless you're getting whole food based forms of that, you are taking fully derived synthetic vitamins, which again is a huge big debate on whether or not synthesized vitamins and supplements absorb that well into your cells and into your body. Because here's the thing, with whole foods, you're getting cofactors, you're getting enzymes, you're getting coenzymes that are already built into that food, right? So when you eat bell peppers or something, right, you are getting an onslaught of enzymatic reactions and cofactors that take the bulk of whatever food you're eating, in this case, let's say bell peppers, so there's vitamin C in there, there's zinc in there, there's phosphorus in there, there's sulfur in there, there's nitrogen, magnesium, calcium, right? All of those things have this kind of synergenic effect, and it absorbs a lot differently than if you were to take an isolated calcium supplement, for example. So the question on a lot of people's minds is, are these isolated compounds or these isolated vitamins, whatever they are, in a supplement, do they absorb well? And honestly, usually the answer is no. There's some exceptions, but typically they're not absorbed that well because they don't have enough cofactors and enzymes surrounding them to really get into the body and into the cells and into the blood. Like we've talked about zinc before on this podcast and how zinc taken alone, which is a fully synthetic vitamin, doesn't absorb that well. You need an ionophore, right? That helps drive it into the cell. The only reason you need an ionophore is because it was taken out after it got synthesized way down to make a tablet of quote-unquote zinc. If you eat products, whole food products that are high in zinc, then they will absolutely always contain an ionophore, and that's how it gets into the body. So you're almost deconstructing foods and then having to piece them back together as individual parts to get a whole food. It's kind of a weird way of doing it and one that really doesn't work that well. Now, there are occasional exceptions, something like vitamin C, ascorbic acid. A synthesized version of that is, since it's water-soluble, is going to be driven into the cell pretty rapidly. B vitamins could be another kind of exception to that rule, but you could also easily get those in a natural form that have extra cofactors and a lot of times fat surrounding them and they actually absorb better. So now they're encapsulating vitamin C in usually lecithin, soy lecithin, which is a fat. And what it does is it kind of increases the absorption rate and keeps it in the cell longer instead of just peeing out the excess vitamin C that's surrounded by a little bit of fat. Nanoparticle fat will hold in the cell a little bit longer and provide a little bit more of a powerful antioxidant, kind of intracellular like that. Whereas just a straight vitamin C powder, for example, you'll just you'll pee out all the excess very, very quickly, which can be beneficial sometimes if you don't want to be holding it in the cell. I mean, I can't really think of a scenario. I mean, unless you're constipated, there's a hack for you. If you're constipated and kind of mega dose your vitamin C, you will get diarrhea. So, and that's an easy way to do it. It's probably one of the easiest uh, ways to soften up your stool and the healthiest, honestly, because there are stool softeners 
on the market, but vitamin C is probably the best way to go. And that's also how you know your body is saturated with vitamin C, with ascorbic acid. You will get loose stool when that happens. And if you're stressed, if you're not sleeping well, if you're getting sick, you would be surprised how much your body can handle, how much vitamin C milligrams that it can handle. I mean, there's been times in my life where I've gone up to six, eight grams of ascorbic acid. Um, if I'm feeling a little run down, a little sick, um, then I'll hit the vitamin C pretty hard. And that's just because, again, it doesn't really absorb that well. And it's a single nutrient. And usually it's not that high of a quality. I mean, you can get good vitamin C. And I typically do. But if I'm in a pinch traveling somewhere or something like that, then um, it's a way to do it. But again, that's why you kind of have to go to those higher doses when you're taking single nutrients because they don't absorb that well. So it's something to keep in mind for sure. And that's why you see such varied research when it comes to something like vitamin C. One paper will say that it doesn't do anything for immune system and as an antioxidant. And another paper will say, oh man, it's the, you know, one of the best antioxidants and immune boosters that there is. Linus Pauling did most of kind of the pioneering research on vitamin C, and all of his studies were high-dose vitamin C studies. He wasn't taking that seriously because he wasn't a medical doctor. He was a biologist, but he kind of pioneered high-dose vitamin C therapy. Um, and so if you're curious about research, then look at high-dose vitamin C studies. They are typically a lot more accurate to the power that a single nutrient like vitamin C can provide. It just needs to be taken in a pretty substantial amount. There was also a super interesting study done by a physician named Frederick Klenner in the 50s. I'll link to the study in the show notes as well as Linus Pauling's work. But Klenner, what he did was he took a group of pregnant women and gave them high-dose vitamin C therapy throughout their entire pregnancy, the whole duration. And he had a control group as well, and they just kind of had your standard diet that he kept them on. And it actually turned out that the vitamin C group, their babies had way better immune systems. They were way more tightly regulated and way more honed than the control group was. They came to be known as vitamin C babies, and they actually fared out way better in development than the control group did. There is also a class of medicine called orthomolecular medicine. So ortho meaning within and then molecular meaning molecules. So they take often synthetic derived single nutrients and they will administer them through an IV. So they'll do a drip bag of vitamin C or a drip bag of magnesium or a drip bag of niacin, vitamin B3. And what that does is getting it directly into the bloodstream can kind of circumvent all the liver processing and kidney processing that your body has to go through to get it into the blood. It's a direct shot in. And they do that for alternative cancer treatments. Um, for a lot of athletes use niacin, IV niacin for kind of energy production and muscle growth, things like that. Um, I mean, it would burn like hell going into your body because niacin is a vasodilator. And if you've ever taken niacin that isn't flush free, you'll know what I'm talking about. You get bright red, you're itchy, things burn. Um, I mean, imagine that going right into your bloodstream. It would be super intense, but people do it. And it does have pretty profound effects. And honestly, if I was to ever take kind of single nutrient supplements or vitamins like that ever again, 
that'd probably be the direction I would go. I'd probably just use kind of an orthomolecular solution to do it uh, because it just doesn't absorb well from the gut. I mean, it does, but it, again, it takes a lot and it would honestly just be a lot easier to go in and get a bag of, you know, vitamin C and some B vitamins and some zinc and things like that and just get it into your body through the blood. At least you know it's going to absorb well. Now, with whole food supplements, that's a very different ball game because again, you have a whole suite of nutrients. You have cofactors and enzymes that are going to metabolize that into the cell and you're going to gain metabolites out of it. It's this kind of reciprocal relationship, right? Just like you make neurotransmitters in the gut from food, you can do the same thing with whole food supplements because they are food. You understand what I'm saying? So it's this kind of give and take where you're not only getting better absorption, but you're getting things like methylation and then remethylation of those nutrients, phosphorylation, acetylation. Everything that's driving your epigenome is going to be contained in that whole food supplement. You see what I'm getting at? So it's a very, very different approach. You're not going to be getting that with some standardized lab-produced single nutrient like ascorbic acid. You could get that from rose hips, ground powdered rose hips. Absolutely. They contain fat. They contain everything like liposomal vitamin C should be. The rose hip contains that. And anytime I have questions about whether or not I should be taking a natural product or some type of synthesized version of a natural product, I always remember that nature is always going to be a better chemist than any man or woman on this planet. And so anytime you can feed your body a full suite of nutrients, it's going to pay off with some dividends. Because to be quite honest with you, we don't even fully understand every nutrient breakdown and interaction on a cellular level on a blood level, on a tissue-specific level that's going on. There's no way to know every single nutrient pathway and breakdown and metabolite in the body. We just can't document all that. And so negating all of that for an isolated single nutrient really doesn't make a lot of sense. We were never, never able to do that until very, very recently, the last really 50 years, which is no time at all. And occasionally you'll get some negative side effects from that. It's sometimes like taking drugs. And as a matter of fact, the FDA sometimes cracks down on supplements that are essentially acting like a drug, which we'll get into a little bit later. And that's why the FDA has to get involved sometimes with the supplement industry, because t the FDA doesn't regulate the supplement industry, but it can place holds and restrictions on certain supplements. So now that we've kind of gone over what supplements are, the categories of different supplements, Really, the next question is, do we need to be supplement? And again, as we talked about at the beginning, it really depends on your diet. Again, if you're cutting out whole species, whole kingdoms of life out of your diet, then you're probably going to need to supplement just to keep things built in the blood. But this is why I talk about and practice a five kingdom approach to nutrition, because I'm getting varied species within my diet, right? I'm not just eating two species of plant, a few species of animal, couple species of fungi, one species of algae, and maybe a protist here and there throughout the year, right? I'm eating as many species as I possibly can, and that's literally how I think of food. When I buy food, 
at the supermarket. That's literally what I'm thinking about and holding in my mind. And the more you can do that, the more actual variety you're going to get. And that eliminates a lot of the need for supplements, a lot of the need for multivitamins and things like that, because you're getting all of that within your food, at least most of the time in a given year or within a given season, which again is fine. If you go back and listen to that craving episode I did last week, you'll kind of understand where I'm coming from with that. Sometimes you don't need nutrients all year when you can get them within a season and they can build the tissue and build the blood and then they're gone and that's okay because you've got your fill. Your body has gotten its biological fill of that particular food and nutrient, suite of nutrients. Because really, that's what we're talking about here. We're just talking about different foods containing different suites of nutrients, different macro and micronutrients in a food, right? That's what your body uses. And that's why these synthetic vitamins and stuff seemed like a good idea on paper. Because, you know, ultimately, yeah, that is what your body uses. But the breakdown of those is really the important aspect to keeping your health and to keeping good, adequate nutrition. And not only the breakdown, but the seasonality of that breakdown. Because your body has a seasonality of what it wants to break down from the food and from the environment that you're living in. From your tiny little region, your microbiome shifts, your cells change. It gets prepared for different foods and different nutrients every single season, even month to month, even week to week. And that's why you don't want to be eating the same exact things day after day after day for years and years because it will lead to nutritional deficiencies. Absolutely. And that's where a lot of people are at because they just don't have the variety in their diet, the true variety. And that's where supplementing has to come in for some people. But again, what type of supplements are you taking? Are you taking synthetic single nutrient supplements that may or may not be absorbed well? Or are you doing whole food and you're just kind of peppering an inadequate diet with some adequacy occasionally. That's kind of what you need to be thinking about a little bit when it comes to supplements. Like, why are you supplementing? Really, is it because you're too lazy to eat a varied diet? Is it a moral reason? I mean, there are real reasons why people need to supplement. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with it, but you need to know why you're supplementing and if you need to, to be supplementing. I still supplement with things. Again, I take bovine colostrum because it is something that builds the gut and keeps the immune system robust and modulated. And I also take powdered freeze-dried organ meats, liver, kidney, spleen, things like that, because I'm not eating a ton of liver typically unless I harvest it from a wild animal source like a deer. So I basically just get that in deer season. And I try to eat as much liver as I possibly can in the fall, because again, my body's primed for it. But I will supplement with a little bit of liver during the spring and summer and winter months. I don't do it every day necessarily, but more often than not, I will. I have some tinctures that I make at home as well, things like chaga mushroom tinctures. I'll take that. It's got nice antiviral properties to it, antifungal properties. It's nice to take. I'll tincture pine pollen, which is a testosterone boosting, you know, things like that, that I'll take pretty frequently, but I don't take them every single day necessarily because I'm getting, because I'm getting varied nutrients, varied species in my diet. 
and I don't have to rely on supplements as much. I would much rather rely on fresh food than dried whole food supplements. It's just going to be better. Just like fresh herbs are better than dried herbs. It's a whole different kind of paradigm, right? Dried herbs aren't bad, right? I use dried herbs all the time. You know, I have a whole spice rack full of them. I'm sure you do too. And they're not bad, but dried rosemary is not the same as fresh rosemary. You see what I'm getting at? And it's the same thing with whole food supplements. Better than nothing, but it could be better. Okay, let's kind of segue into the supplement industry. So the supplement industry has been, man, it's been on the rise for quite a long time. So I think the most recent data I was able to find on the net worth of the total supplement industry is about $122 billion per year. That was back in 2016. So, I mean, I guarantee it's a little bit more than that every year. Typically, that's down to a lot of these kind of wellness products and things. You know, things, um, you know, that are marketed for performance and sports. When I was bodybuilding, I used to take a ton of supplements. I would take protein powder. I mean, just by pounds of it. I would take pre-workout supplements. I would take creatine and testosterone building supplements and all this stuff, right? That was probably very detrimental to my health. Well, not probably. It definitely was very, very detrimental. It's things like that, right? That's There's a whole world and a whole kind of industry based around performance kind of enhancing supplements. And that's a lot of the driver. Kind of the health and wellness stuff, you can find it. Like I said, you can find kind of whole food-based supplements. Like there's a market for that, but it's not as big. Um, that's a fraction of the supplement market. Typically what drives that is kind of these athlete performance-based supplement brands that are usually tainted with all sorts of stuff. That's the other thing about supplement brands. Like you picture these nice white laboratories with in people with white lab coats on and you know they're being very medical about it. But in actual reality, most supplement labs are dirty and they're not cleaning the machinery well and things get cross contaminated. I mean, that's why a lot of pro athletes get popped for having performance-enhancing drugs when they're taking some type of, you know, very benign supplement like a B vitamin. You know, they'll get anabolic steroids in there and things like that. I mean, it happens all the time. It's very, very common. This is a not a clean, well-managed industry. I mean, there's a lot of cowboying going on, if you know what I mean. And that's why the FDA sometimes has to get involved. Um, it, in, it gets involved in good things from time to time. You know, there are reasons to kind of keep things in check a bit. But it also can be a bit self-serving at times as well when it comes to certain supplements, certain kind of, again, single derivatives that have been used and marketed. Occasionally, it works so well that they will 
ban it and do patents on it. And that actually just happened with a nutrient called N-acetylcysteine, or NAC for short, N-A-C. Now, NAC is an antioxidant. It is a part of the glutathione kind of master antioxidant. And I'll go into kind of why maybe it was banned by the FDA, but it just got banned this last year. Um, and co coincidentally enough, it got banned right after COVID and right after there was a patent using N-acetylcysteine and cinnamon as a lung clearing agent. So there can be some things like that, some political maneuvering, so to speak, that gets supplements banned by the FDA. Okay, so this NAC supplement, N-acetylcysteine, it's a precursor of cysteine. And if you, if that sounds familiar to you, cysteine is an amino acid. So homocysteine, which is a compound that controls inflammation and blood clotting factors inside the blood. Homocysteine remethylates, so methyl groups attach back to it, and it forms cysteine. Cysteine then converts into glutathione, which controls your cell redox. And we've talked a lot about cell redox in past episodes, but again, the way your cells redox is basically how they clean themselves out, how they recycle all these end metabolites that your body needs to break down and get rid of because your cells need to turn over. And glutathione is kind of the, the master antioxidant that does that. So cysteine gets through into glutathione by a process called transsulfurification, meaning basically there's a sulfur group. So anything that's rich in sulfur, green leafy vegetables, liver, anything like that, it's gonna there's gonna be sulfurification to it, meaning that the sulfur group basically breaks off and goes into methylation. This doesn't need to be too chemistry heavy, but you have a sulfur component to it, you have a methyl group component to it, and the way that they break down is going to metabolize differently into different pathways and into different nutrients and amino acids. So glutathione is made up of three amino acids. It's made up of glycine, cysteine, and glutamate, or glutamic acid would be another name for it. So when all three of these amino acids combine, they make this master antioxidant called glutathione. So NAC is basically just a derivative, a little different tweak in the amino acid cysteine, which if you're taking N-acetylcysteine, really what you're after, you're after the nutrient breakdown into glutathione. So people take N-acetylcysteine to increase their antioxidants in their body and increase the redox turnover for cells, specifically in the liver. So a lot of times you'll see NAC marketed for liver metabolism or liver enzymatic reactions. So anything of liver support, basically, is what that means. What NAC, interestingly enough, does is it acts as a lung clearant. It acts as kind of a decongestant of the lungs. So it became really popular with treating COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So basically, if 
a lot of times smokers will get it or firefighters that have had a lot of smoke inhalation and damage to the lungs. You'll basically damage the lungs to a point where they have a hard time kind of turning over and reproducing in a healthy cellular way. Um, and it can basically damage the lung sacs, so the pulmonary sacs that allow you to get rid of the air after you inhale. It can Those can get kind of blocked up. Um, and so you can get shortness of breath and things like that. So this supplement was found to be really good at kind of decongesting the lungs. So getting the phlegm basically out of the lungs, up and out. And it's still used in a therapeutic setting. It's been used therapeutically like that for decades. And it actually was getting FDA pressure decades ago um, because it was such a powerful antioxidant, the FDA was concerned that so many supplement companies were using it, which, I mean, may or may not be true. The way that they use it in a hospital setting, in a clinical setting, is they typically use it with an IV, um, or they use a slightly different version of it that is a little bit more therapeutic. As far as an antioxidant, it's hard to know how good it actually is. Again, because really what you're after is the glutathione antioxidant. So the fact that they banned it, I mean, there's a, if you Google NAC right now, you'll see a lot of people kind of speaking out against the FDA banning NAC. I mean, the truth is it's been kind of on the FDA watch list for decades. Um, I did find, like I said, I did find a patent that incorporated NAC and cinnamon essential oil, basically. I mean, it's slightly different, but essentially that's what they were using as a potential COVID treatment, which is fascinating. Um, so there's a lot of talk about whether NAC was pulled by the FDA because it was super effective at treating COVID symptoms. Um, I guess that'll have to kind of wait to be seen. I mean, it's possible. But, I mean, I can't really sit here and speculate on that too much. I mean, that's exactly what it would be. It would just be speculation. I don't really know. But if really, if what you're after is the antioxidant and liver function, you could take all three amino acids that make up glutathione, and you could get essentially the same type of thing. Because you're getting precursors to glutathione, which is what NAC is. It's just a single precursor. But you could be taking glutamic acid, glycine, and cysteine, and all of those would merge and form glutathione within your own body. You see what I mean? So if you really, if you're looking for NAC, just take all three of those. You can still get all three of those, or you could get a glutathione supplement if you'd like. But really, anytime you can take a precursor to where your body has to go through the enzymatic process to break it down, it's going to be that much more absorbable in your body. So I would start with just all three of those. And really, you'll be getting the same benefit. You'll be getting actually more benefit taking those three in combination than you would with just a single NAC supplement. If you are looking for a lung decongestant or what would is sometimes called a mucosal dispersant. Um, look to the herb million. It's really good at clearing the lungs. 
it is native to Europe, to the UK, to Ireland more specifically. They used to use it for tuberculosis to clear the lungs from TB. You can find it um, in a tea form. You can find it in tincture form, alcohol form, alcohol base or alcohol free even. Um, it's a really good one. So you could almost kind of recreate NAC in a way by taking all three amino acids that make up glutathione and by taking herbs that help clear the lungs. Oregano is another really nice herb to clear the lungs. Again, cinnamon. That's why it was in that patent to begin with, because it's going to vasodilate and help you clear the lungs. I mean, you could do a combination of mullein, cinnamon, and oregano, and I mean, you would definitely open up the lungs with a combination like that. I mean, so there's what I'm saying is that there are ways around the FDA banning especially a single supplement because your body never just uses a single supplement. It's never a one and done thing. It can, again, cysteine can remethylate into homocysteine and NAC can remethylate into cysteine. It, you know, all it is is a change of sulfur groups or acetyl groups. That's what N-acetylcysteine is. It's just an acetyl group that is on the end of that molecule and that acetyl group can come off and it can be a whole different substance in the body. So the fact that the FDA banned it honestly isn't that big of a deal unless you were trying to do some type of treatment work with it or something. But as an individual, not a huge deal. There's other things you can do to get there on a chemical level. So yeah, you just need to know basically the precursors or what it turns into. And then if there's alternatives to whatever function you're getting. But if you, a lot of times, if you can stack things that help the function that you're looking for, it's actually going to end up being better. That's why a lot of supplements are formulated the way that they're formulated because you need multiple things. You need multiple single nutrients mixing together in an alchemy to kind of get the desired effect. And it can be challenging to nail, you know. Um, but, I mean, if you did some experimentation, you could do it. And for the record, you can actually still buy NAC. Amazon has banned the sale of it, but you can still find it. Uh, you can still find it at some big department stores. I think Walmart is carrying it still. Um, so if it's a supplement that you want and are curious about, I mean, buy it now because the sale is going to be ended pretty soon. I imagine it's not going to hold very long. You know, it might be banned for a couple of years and it'll probably be back or they may pair it with something else. So, I mean, keep your eye out because there's always ways that it's going to end up back on the market. But again, you can recreate it too. So if that's what you're after, it's honestly not that big of a deal to to make it kind of within your own body. You don't have to do anything. You just need to take some basically three separate supplements to get the desired effect for it. So anyway, that's kind of the deal with NAC and the FDA. I mean, and there's plenty of things like that that the FDA, FDA has done. 
and different types of governing bodies. Again, you see that with athletics a bunch where a new supplement will come out. You know, college athletes, professional athletes will kind of flock to this new performance enhancing thing to gain an edge. And then, you know, the NCAA will have to crack down on it because, you know, it gives an unfair advantage or it's tainted with something else. So you're going to see this. I mean, if you follow the supplement industry closely, which I do typically, I mean, since I'm doing nutrition work professionally, I mean, I need to be up on this stuff. And I mean, this stuff comes and goes all the time. It's, I guess you can kind of call it a conspiracy theory if you want, but really this is just the reality and this is the nature of an unregulated industry. You know, things get a bit squirrely sometimes and it gets cracked down on and then eventually they pop back up again. So, yeah, not the end of the world. If you understand the chemistry a little bit, you can get your body to make it for you. So, well, this is going to do it for this week. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Ancestral Elements Podcast. As always, stay well, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners. 